us and welcome to the next step series um, with Tequitan. All right, um, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to start. Um, as we all know, this is next step series with speech forces and our goal is to have a collection of weekend training sessions um, with the aim of like developing the African circuit um, by exposing us to um, some of the best um, debating practices in other regions of the world and and having the biggest uh, debate figures at the moment share that debate surgeon with us their experiences and so that we can interact and learn from them right so the ultimate goal is to um make sure that this year in december we increase um the participation of the african circuit at the world stage and other tournaments in other regions of the world and make sure that um that um, our participation is um better and the attendance and the overall performances are better um so what we're going to do today is I'm going to introduce our guests um, and then he's going to take us um, a session. Um, he's going to be talking to us about debating practices, how to improve as a debater, basically. And um, I know we have a lot of questions. So um, what we're going to do is to use the main text space for our questions. So please, as you listen to Tech today, um, write your questions down. We have a team. We're going to compile those questions and take as many as we can um, in the time we have after this session so that the audio can be good. So let's move our mics. Let's use the main text space for our questions. We're going to compile them. We're going to ask as many as we can and i'm very sure we're going to have a very very engaging and insightful session so today our guest is Tekritan. tech has been um the third best speaker at wdc twice um he was um, the best speaker also at the European um, Round Robin, the inaugural European Round Robin 2013. Um, he won the um, Oxford Ivy in 2018 and a whole lot of finals, a whole lot of awards, um, a whole lot of best speaker awards. Um, adjudication wise, tech, um, luckily for us, is um, the DCA for this year's was World Universities Debate Championship in Korea um, is also the CA for the 2020 World School Debate Championship in Mexico and he has served on the adjudication panel of a whole lot of major tournaments um, across the world, the Oxford Ivy, the LSC, the UCL Ivy, the Belgrade Open and a lot more. Um, last year at Worlds, he chaired the ESL finals 
um, in Thailand, and he also judged the Open Finals of the 2019 EUDC. Um, Tech is also um, an, an accomplished coach. Is a former national, national pardon, your pardon. Is a former national team coach of the United Arab Emirates, and um, he has coached across the world: Slovenia, Palestine, China, England, Hong Kong. And today we have him engaging with the African circuit. So, ladies and gentlemen, permit me to. Um, seat the floor for our guest for today, Tech. It's good to have you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, as I said, thank you very much uh, for having me here. Um, and it's you know I, I'm really excited to to share with you guys some of my thoughts um, and things that I've learned along the way, um, and hopefully it'll be it'll be helpful. Cool. So let's get started. Um, so the the objective of what I've prepared today is to, um, you know, obviously help help everyone improve as a debater and to get better. Um, but the, the way I want to do that is not just by telling you things that are good to do and that, you know, you should just do what I do and, and become good because um, there, there are many different ways to become good at debating. And it's much more important to figure out what works for you because each person has a different way of of speaking and each person has a different way of thinking and that's all fine uh in fact it's 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 good and it's part of what makes the activity so um so special so fun so instead what i want to do is not to tell you what to do to get better but to try and talk you through how i used to think about it when i was trying to get better you know to to give you like the tools to give you the mindset um and and for you to try and apply that in your in your own practices in your own um debates in your own tournaments and in your in your own competitions um you know getting better at debating is is like getting better at any activity it takes a lot of practice it takes a lot of hard work and there will always be good moments and good days where you do really well and there will always be some times where it's not so good you know times where you where you lose and times where you don't get the results that, that you want um but hopefully you know all of you are here on a, on a saturday instead of doing something else because you enjoy it and and because you find it um, something that's that's meaningful, right? And and if you do, um, I guess what I want to say before we even go any further is, you know, you, you're going to have to be able to overcome the good the good days and the bad, right? And, and that's part of any sport. That's part of any activity. Um, some of the things that I'm talking about will be obvious to you. Maybe you'll think it's it's so obvious that it, it doesn't even need saying. Uh, but I guess what I want to do is is to explain why it's important and, and how it's important and, and how it can help you. So that's the objective we've set ourselves and let's get cracking on with it. Um, I'm going to split the talk into two portions. So the first portion is about four keys to success that I think um, debaters don't often realize how important they are. And then the second part of the talk is going to be about some steps you can take in your practices and in your competitions to, uh, you know, get those types of improvements and, and head in the right direction. Okay. So I have a, a theory, I have a theory that if you do four things very, very well, if you do four things very consistently well, then you will you will be you will come a very, very long way in debating. 
I, I even think that if you can do these four things consistently well, oh, I think someone's now on mute. Uh, if you can do four things consistently well, you will, um, you know, you, you will average an 80, you, you will come very close to breaking at Worlds, if not break at Worlds. So if it's so simple as that, right? If it's so simple as just doing four things, why do people not do them? Well, the answer is number one, sometimes they don't know that these things are important. They don't realize that these are the four things which um, affect their success. Sometimes, second of all, they, they don't know how to do it. And so they are strong in some areas, but they are weak in other areas. And so if you only do two of the four things, it's not quite as powerful as if you did all four of them together. Um, and finally, it's not easy to do it. It's not easy to do it all together, right? It's a bit like juggling. You know, if you ask me to throw one ball from one side to the other side, I can, I can throw it and catch it. If you ask me to do two, I can do two. But obviously, the, the difficult part comes when you have to do many, many things at the same time. Um, and so what I want to do is to explain what these four keys are to prove to you or try and show you that these are actually the four things which make a, a huge difference. And, and hopefully, at the end of it, you'll be able to use these four keys as a framework, right? Because I think as a judge, when you judge a debate, you're asking yourself, you know, what did they prove? Um, what were the burdens and what were the clashes? But that's not the same mindset as a coach. You know, as a coach or as someone trying to get better, you are asking yourself questions like, what did I do wrongly? What did I do well? What should I have done instead? And those are different types of questions. And so I think it's, it's important that we have uh, a different, uh, different framework, a different way of thinking about it. Okay, so in, in judging, we, we think about how a team wins or loses. But here, these are the four things which help you think about the, the underlying skills, right? the skill set, the, the behavior, and, and how well you're doing this activity. Um, so the first one is time management. Now, you might have heard this before. So this is not the classic time management you would have heard before. Um, what I mean by time management here is is about using the resources you have, right? Using the resources you have. Um, here's an example of this. You know, if you don't think of debating as, as like, here are my speeches and these are the other teams and I'm going to make arguments. What if you think of debating as you and your teammate have 14 minutes between you and your partner, in, in, in BP at least, you know, in a different format as maybe slightly different, of course. Um, you have 14 minutes to say things to build something and to attack other people's things. So the question is always, how well am I spending these 14 minutes? Because every team, every team has 14 minutes, right? Every team has 14 minutes and maybe one or two POIs. Um, and so the, the game is, is, is about a question, not just in you know, time management, is not just, you know, do I finish my speech on time? But it's about asking yourself, am I using my resources well? Am I using my time well to do things that matter? Yep. So one thing I see very often that is an example of where time, people do time management badly is when they have an opening to their speech. And they open their speech by saying, you know, oh, we think that this is a huge problem. People do this and that. And the other side has not responded to us on all these things and so on and so forth. And then at, at about one minute, they say, and so that is why I'm going to start with my rebuttals. And so that, that first one minute is like a warm-up for them. Right? They spend one minute talking about um, where they think the debate is, and it's not wrong, you know. It's not like it's wrong, but it's not. It's not analysis, you know. 
So, uh, sorry, just a quick pause. If you're coming on the chat, just make sure you, you mute yourself uh, because there are lots of people. Great, thank, thank you. Um, so they, they, they spend that one minute, right? They talk about things. And, and if, if you've ever done that, I, I if you ever do that, I, I understand why, because you, know, you just started giving your speech. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe the first day of the day. So you spend a bit of time trying to, um, trying to, trying to, trying to get warmed up. But I want you to ask yourself, right? One over seven is about, uh, let me see, somewhere around 14%, right? Do you think having a nice opening that does not do any analysis is really worth 14% of your time? And very often when I ask people and put it that way, they go, actually, no, maybe not really, right? Not, I'm not sure, it, not sure it does. So time management is, is about asking that, that very question again and again. In other words, I have spent three minutes making this argument. Is it, was it the right choice? You know, three minutes is nearly half of the resources that I have. Is, it, is, is this the right thing to spend three minutes on? Uh, is this argument going to be very impactful or is it just something I'm saying because I feel like I should say it? Well, if it's, if it's very important, then you know, why are you only spending one minute on it? Right? Why are you not putting it further up ahead in the speech? Why, why is it not the first thing you're saying? Maybe there's something else more important. Right? But these are the questions that I think people don't ask themselves enough. So they give a speech and they go, oh, you know, did, I, did I give the speech I wanted to give? But there's actually a lot to think about in terms of, well, how much time did I give to these things within my speech? Did I give the time to the right things or did I give the time to the wrong things? Now, something else that's important to, to, to bear in mind is, uh, you know, if you think about debating as this, as I suggested, as this game of using 14 minutes time, um, it's like driving a car, right? If you drive a car with uh, very, like, uh, you know, it, it, it consumes a lot of petrol, a lot of gasoline, then you can have the same amount of petrol as me, but I could go a lot further and yours doesn't go as far, right? Because it's about how, how well you use that time. So some people who are very good at debating will um, speak very fast, but even though they speak very fast, they can still make their points very clearly. So someone like that can use 14 minutes and do a lot with those 14 minutes, right? Or seven minutes. And then you also have people who, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, they will talk and talk and talk, but even after two to three minutes, they are still making the same point. They are repeating themselves again and again. And, and again, the way to realize that that's bad is not just because repeating yourself is bad, it's, it's because it's using up your resource, it's using up your time, but it's not giving you additional benefit. Right? And so what, what, I want to, what I want this key to start helping you see is that this is one of the biggest questions in debating. It is one of the big things that, that makes debate different from you know, writing an essay. Because in writing an essay, you usually can write it as long as you want to, and you have a lot of time to make the, the points you want. The way debating works is, how am I using my time? Am I choosing the right things to maximize the use of my time? And am I wasting time on anything? And if I'm wasting time on anything, the next time I do a similar debate, I should remind myself not to do that. All right, so this is something you can, this is something you don't, um, this is something a judge would never tell you. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they might, if the, if the judge is good, but the judge might not realize you've wasted that time, right? It's, they're, not, they're not thinking about it that way. Um, but your role as your own coach, as your own, you know, as your own critic, is to look back at your speech and go, 
huh, I, I spent this much time on that. Was that the correct choice? Was it the right choice? Was it the wrong choice? And and I and let's in fact let's go one more one one more layer down from that, because something I think is very important and people don't realize is um, debating like any game is about the choices you make, right? If 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 I if you and I play um, you know snakes and oh, actually snakes and that is is a very bad example, but if you and I play like uh, you know tic tac toe, right? It's every game, simple all the way to a, a more complex game, is all about the choices you make, and. I think one of the things that's so important in, in getting better at debating is thinking about your choices. So time management is one of your choices. Always think about your choices. Always make a choice because you have a reason for it, rather than sometimes, you know, I know it's easy because you're giving a speech, it's, 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 it can be nervous, it can be stressful. You just go with it, right? You try and make it happen, and then you go, oh, I'm done with my speech. You need to try and, try and fight that. Try and always be in control and always ask yourself, all right, I'm choosing to focus on this. I am choosing to spend two minutes on this. Because, you know, when, when, I, when I coach kids who are trying to get better at debating, I often tell them, I will never blame you for making a choice if the choice goes wrong. You know, I've made bad choices myself in the debates that I've lost. I, I thought something was important and I chose wrongly. But the only way you can learn and get better is if you choose because you had a reason, and if you chose correctly, you now know how to do it the next time. And if you chose wrongly, you know you will now learn a lesson that says, "Oh, actually, I I miss, you know, I, I chose the wrong strategy in this situation." But if you never think about those choices, if you never ask yourself, "Why did I choose to focus on this thing or to use this time this way?" you'll you'll never learn that, right? And that's a shame. So that that that's the first big key, right? Debating is about resource. That resource is time. And you should always ask yourself, why am I spending the time uh, and, and my resources on this thing as opposed to that thing? Okay, cool. The next slide, next key, the second key is about clarity and illustration. Clarity and illustration. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever judged debates before, but I, I think when you do, you, you'll see very quickly there are some speakers who are not clear. And that is not to say they are bad debaters. They, will, they can often say very clever things, very good things, but it's, it's hard, you know? I think, I think people don't realize this. It's hard to judge a debate because when you're giving your speech, you're like you're saying all the things you want to say. You're so excited. You've got all this stuff. Don't forget that you have been thinking about your arguments for at least 15 minutes, depending on where you are, maybe even half an hour, 45 minutes. And so if you are the member of government or the member of opposition, you know, you've got this special new argument that you want to talk about. You and your partner have been thinking about it for 45 minutes. And you, you come out and you say it and you, you, know, you, you say, yeah, here's, here's all the clever things we have. The judge has not, has not heard that before. The judge has not been thinking about that, right? And so from a judge's perspective, whose job is to try and write everything down, to record everything, and to think about the debate and see if it makes sense, if you don't make it clear, the judge might not actually get what you're saying. Or they might get a bit of it, but you might not, you know, you, you might get less credit than you deserve. And and whose fault is that? Well, in some ways it's the judge's fault, but you know, you, you can't always have judges who are who are on the same on the same mindset as you. And so, in other words, it's not enough to have done the clever things in the debate, to do the correct things in the debate. It's your job to make sure you 
get the credit for it, right? It's your job to look out for your team and for yourself. So how do you go about doing that? What does it mean to say clarity and illustration? So one is to always be very clear about what you are doing in the debate, right? So I'm not sure if, um, if, you, if you get this analogy, but you know, sometimes when you go on a, on a museum tour, you go to a school trip or a trip to a you know, historical site, and there are the people at the museum or the, at, the, the, uh, at the venue who do the tours and say, this is, this is this building and this is what it does and this is the history of the place, right? Those types of people, they have heard the history of that place at least a thousand times. They do it every day, sometimes three, four, five times a day, right? But yet every time they talk to you about it, they will say, here is the place in which this happened. You know, in case you didn't know, this is what happened in, in this year and, and, and so on. They always take the trouble to, um, to, to talk to you as if you have never heard that before. So what I would say is a priority for all of you to do is to try and always be very explicit about what you are doing and what you are trying to get the judge to believe. Right? What do you want the judge to believe at the end of your analysis? So, for example, one of my friends, when we were speaking together, he would say something like, look, I want to start by, I want to tell you what I'm going to prove. I want to prove to you that, you know, he'll insert the argument here. So maybe he'll say, I want to prove to you that as a result of this policy, um, students will find it harder to get access to um, academic resources at university. And then he says, the reason I want to prove this to you, or the reason that we win the debate, if I prove this to you, is that, he gives the reason there. And then finally he says, so now I'm going to now give you the proof for this. Right? So this is, this is the, most, like, the, most, um, the most structured way of doing it. You can do it in different ways. But again, it is a question you should ask yourself and ask your judges. So you know, let's say you make an argument and the judge gives you the loss and you're like, oh, that's, that's not great. You know, I, I don't like that. I, I feel like we should have won. You should ask the judge questions like that. You should ask the judge questions like, did you understand our argument? You know, what, what was the impression? Well, how did you understand our argument? So don't, because if you ask them, did you understand our argument? Of course the judge will say yes. The judge will be like, yeah, I understood it and I thought it was bad. Um, what you want to get is to ask the judge, you know, how did you understand our argument? Did you, did, you get the, did you get this part that I mentioned? Or did you get what we were trying to do? And maybe the judge says, oh, I didn't realize that at all. And then that's where you know you need to, again, the next time you do it, you should be clearer, right? So uh, I think, I think that, that is the first lesson to take away. It's your job to make sure the judge understands what you are saying. You should always be as clear as possible. Um, you know, what, another thing that is quite helpful to be, help the judge be as clear as possible is, is, you know, is, to, is to tell them what you want them to believe. Or another way of thinking about it is to tell them what you want them to write down on their tracking sheet. So let's say you do some analysis, you do some rebuttal, and at the end you might say, so what I, what I, where we are or what I've shown you is that the argument about choice is not true and that people do have a choice uh, in terms of what university to attend. And that means that opening government is out of this debate. Maybe, right? So I've, I've made it very clear. I've made it clear what I'm doing what the rebuttal is, what the conclusion is, and I've made it clear what that means for the other team in the round. Um, so again, play around with it and find out what works best for you. 
we'll, we'll get to some more of this later on, but I want to emphasize one of the biggest issues is clarity. Um, ah, here's another one, actually. Here's another very common, um, common problem I see. So let's say you are the web speaker. You are doing some rebuttal, and you are rebutting something that the opening team has said. How many times have you heard people say something like, ah, I want to respond to the opening team's argument on health, or the opening team's argument on incentives, and then you respond. Now, think again about the, the poor judge who is having to judge this debate. The judge has heard the argument on health about 25 to 30 minutes ago. Maybe the judge heard a previous response, and then maybe the judge heard a couple of different things on health. So when you say, I want to rebut the thing on health, the judge has to go, what is the thing on health? Where is it? And they'll look at their notes for a bit, and they'll be like, wait, what was it this thing again? Let me try and recall... And by the time they figure out what it is you were trying to attack, you've moved on, right? You've, you've talked about two or three more things, and they've missed two or three more things. So again, whose fault is it that this has happened? Well, in some ways, it's the judge's fault, because the judge should you know, obviously know what is going on in the debate. But no judge can ever be perfect, right? No judge can ever humanly remember everything at the same time. So what is the better thing to do in this case? Well, a better thing to do might be to say, I want to respond to the point on health in where, or rather, sorry, I want to respond to the point on, on health where the opening opposition argued that people's health would get significantly worse because of the reason X, Y, Z. So now you've, you've set up the target. You've told the judge, this is the target we are going to aim for. And then you can go ahead and aim for it and you can shoot it down. Right? And, and now the judge will immediately know what you are responding to and the judge will be able to give you the full credit. So the summary here is it's always, always, always important to get full credit for what you are doing. And the way to get full credit for what you're doing is to make yourself as clear as possible. Uh, okay. There's another part to this. There's another part to clarity and illustration, and that is illustration. Because one way of making things clear is to remind people um, what's going on. So, you know, a couple of times now in this, in this lecture, I've stopped and I've said, so what I mean by this is, or here's a summary of what I've just said, right? That's one way of doing it. But the other thing that I'm trying to do is to illustrate what's going on, to give examples, right? To keep giving you examples of what I mean by this. Because we as human beings are, we obviously, we, we as human beings can think on a, on a theoretical level, where we can think about the theory and we can think about what is, you know, the abstract, the concept. But we will always find it more persuasive if we can match or if we can pair the concept with the real world. So something that will help make your arguments clearer is to use real world stories and illustrations to help a judge understand what you are describing. Now, does this mean you know, if you want to make an argument, you have to actually know someone who has done that before? Of course not. Right? It, it would be absurd to say something like, oh, we should ban, uh, we, we, we should ban, um, we should ban the recreational use of drugs because I know a friend who, you know, once took cocaine and that ended up, you know, that, 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 that like left, left them in rehab and that was very bad for them. Of course not. But there is a big difference between saying you know, we should ban the use of drug, all drugs, because even using drugs like marijuana can be a gateway drug to make you use more dangerous drugs later on. 
That's the theory. The illustration is to say, you know, you have people who uh, take marijuana in order to get a high because, you know, that seems like it's socially accepted and everyone, you know, at, at university says, yeah, you should take it. And then once you take that, you realize after a few times that it's no longer giving you the same satisfaction because your body gets used to the drug. And so then you move on to the next thing, which is something like, you know, uh, I don't know, LSD, right? And eventually you end up at, at crack cocaine and that is really bad for you. So one of these things is like a, a theory of the argument and the other is, uh, is an illustration. Is, it is a story of what could happen in the real world, right? What, what is the, uh, here's a way of thinking about it. You know, I, I think of an argument as something that a university professor would write about. University would say, here is the academic paper, here is the textbook, here is what is happening. And the illustration is like what the, the newspaper or what the news, online news would, would do. You know, it's what BBC would do. It's what Al Jazeera would do. It's where, they, it's where they, in order to make the same point, they interview someone instead. They don't say, you know, we've done the research and this is the conclusion. What the BBC does is they, they interview someone and say, you know, how did you find this experience? What was it like for you as a victim of blah, blah, blah? Or how did you feel when you, know, you were scammed out of money or whatever it may be? Um, so I think that's the other important thing, right? To remember that debating is about not just the theory, it's not just the argument. It's about helping judges see that you are, you're talking about something that's real. Right? You're talking about something or someone out there in the real world, and it's your job to help the judge see that your points are more realistic, that they have this real-world um, application. Thank you. Good morning, everyone um, from Nigeria, West Africa. Uh, good day, wherever you're joining us. And welcome to the Next Step series um, with Tequitan. All right. So that's the second key. The third key is about argument rigor. Um, and again, I feel like everyone knows this. Everyone knows when you make an argument, the argument should be strong, right? Who would ever want to make a weak argument? So the question, I think, is how do you go about building a good argument? And this is a very, very tricky question, right? You know, some, some would even say that philosophers for, for millennia have been asking this question. Uh, and thankfully, you know, our job is, is not to satisfy the philosophical ponderings of of people from the Greek ages, it is simply to, to know what debating and what the rules of the game are asking for. So um, I guess in, in building a good argument, I have a few tips to make to, 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 as a starting point, right? As a starting point. So the first is to always ask yourself why when building an argument. Every time you're making a claim in an argument, try and ask yourself, well, why do I think this is true? Now, the answer might be very obvious. Why do I think that people getting sick is bad? Well, of course it's bad, right? So that's fine. But why do I think people will get sick as a result of this policy? Maybe that's not so obvious. So whenever something is not obvious, I would try and ask why and try and offer a few reasons. And if you can keep doing that, you'll realize that the argument overall will be quite solid. 
So, you know, it, it's one of those things where the very act of asking why will prompt you to answer the question. I don't know if you've tried this, but you should try it out. If, if I say to you, you know, look, I, I think my favorite ice cream flavor is, is, um, is coffee. My favorite ice cream flavor is, is a coffee-flavored um, ice cream. Well, why? I mean, I, I like the taste of coffee, you know, and I like the, the yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously, that's just my preference, right? But, but you get the idea. When, when you say something and you ask yourself, well, why? You naturally feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a prompt for you to answer that question. And if you can keep giving reasons for everything you think in the debate, I can almost guarantee you, your arguments will get stronger. Not because giving reasons alone is enough to win, but because if you give a reason for something and the reason is relevant, a judge cannot ignore that. Right? A judge cannot simply say, well, I just don't agree with that. Or at least a good judge shouldn't do that. But, uh, but very, very often, I see teams just say a lot of things, but don't give reasons for them. And then the judge goes, well, maybe this is true. In fact, I really, want, I really want to believe this is true. But I, you know, you've not given me the analysis for why. And again, this goes back to the very first key I, I told you about. So if you spend two minutes saying many different things, but you don't give good reasons for any of them, what is, the, what is the credit you get? Well, very little. So you will have spent two minutes of precious time and wasted the time. Whereas if you spend two minutes only talking about one thing, but you prove that thing very well, you'll get the full credit for that thing. And that is a much better use of your time, right? And so I hope you can begin to see how these things actually link together and how Time management, which is the first and biggest thing, is also affected by all of these other smaller things. Okay, so let's, let's get back on track. So the first big tool I have for you is the always ask why, always give reasons. The second big tool is to ask yourself, am I proving the easy part of this argument or the controversial part of this argument? Because every argument usually will have some parts which are easier to prove and some parts which are more controversial. Um, how can you figure this out? Well, it's tricky. You know, with experience and with time, you will come to realize what this is. So with, with experience, you will come to realize what this is. But I, 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 let me encourage you to try this the next time. You know, when you think about an argument, and you think, about, like, what do I need to prove for this argument to be true? Um, ask yourself, is this, is this the easy part of the argument? Is this the part, is this the part that the other team will challenge? Right? Is this the part that the other team will challenge? What is, the, what is the most, yeah, what, what, is, what is the weakest part and what, what is the most easy part? And what you should do is, obviously, spend more time on the parts that are more controversial. Spend more time on the parts that are easiest to attack. Spend more time on the parts that seem the most unrealistic. Not to say that it is unrealistic, but the parts that are the most likely to be, you know, the parts that, that we're not so sure will, will actually happen. Now, this seems very obvious. I, 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 I grant that. So I do apologize if you think this is so obvious it's wasting your time. But I've seen so many people, so many people will say something like, oh, I have five reasons why this is true. And they're spending the time on those five reasons on things which the other side is not going to challenge. Right? So if you imagine an argument as a wall, that's the wall that's on the slide, 
the enemy only needs to break the wall at one point, right? Because as soon as the wall is broken at one point, the wall loses its function. Um, and in the same thing with an argument, uh, an argument only needs to be broken at one point. And so when you're thinking about the argument, you're thinking, where should I spend my time building up this argument? You want to ask yourself, what is the weakest part of the wall? Or maybe what are the weakest parts of the wall? Maybe there are a few, and I will spend my time defending those things. This is actually perhaps even more relevant if you are in the opening teams, because you know, given that the closing teams will come after you, you always have to make sure your arguments are built well. You want to build your argument well enough so that even a strong team after you will have to struggle to beat your arguments. And in fact, and I, I know I keep saying this, right, but it all comes back to the same framework. If you make two arguments, one of them is strong and one of them is weak, the closing team might have enough time to attack the strong one, to ignore the weak one, and then to beat you with their new extension. But if you have two arguments and both of them are strong, then the closing team might have to spend so much time attacking both of your arguments that they run out of time to build their own extension. So it all comes back to the same idea of time. It all comes back to the same idea of how much value are you getting out of the resources you are spending. And if you do a good job building a good argument, it forces other teams to spend more time attacking it. Right? Um, and maybe they decide not to attack it, in which case you've got, you've got a good advantage in the debate. Um, the final tool I have here is a test that I, I sometimes use when I'm asking myself if something needs to be analyzed further. I will say a statement to myself that I'm going to say in the debate, and I'm going to ask myself, can someone reasonable, you know, someone who maybe has never done any debating before, just like a friend or your, your, your parents or whoever it is, your, your family members, friends, if you told them this thing and you say, you know, I, I believe this statement, I believe this, can, can they look at you and just go, nah, not really, I don't, I don't believe that, you know? Will they take you seriously? And if the answer is they go, nah, not really, then, then you definitely need to analyze that more. You know, that is, that, that is definitely something which the average person does not believe. But there are things where if you tell someone that, they'll go, oh yeah, that seems, that seems reasonable. You know? So if, if you said something like, um, businesses want to make profit, um, but businesses also want to make profit in the short term and in the long term. Would people go, nah, not really? Yeah, I think I think most people would say no. That that is that is reasonable. You know, most businesses do want to make profit in the short term and in the long term. That's the easy part to prove, right? What's the controversial part to prove? Well, maybe the controversial part is to say, well, why does this motion or why does this policy affect the profit? Why does this motion, combined with the profit incentive, lead to something that is good or something that is bad? Right. So. It's not a foolproof method, but again, I want to get you guys used to the habit of asking these questions. It's not just what arguments do I build and how do I build an argument? You want to ask yourself, which parts are weak? Which, part, which parts are, are stronger? Which parts are easier to prove? Which parts are harder to prove? And then, unsurprisingly, you should spend more time on the parts that are harder to prove, less time on the parts that are easier to prove. Okay? So... Again, this, this is something that you know, I, can, I cannot possibly in 15 minutes give you all the keys to the kingdom. A lot of it is about practicing and it's about 
building up good habits. But the way to build up those good habits is to think about these things, to, to, to you know, continuously ask yourself, how did I build this argument? Was it strong? Was it weak? How could I have made it better? And, and, to, um, and, uh, and, and to speak to your friends about it as well, you know? It's, it's, this is one of those areas where, where teamwork is really a great way to, to learn and improve, where maybe you think this is the best way to prove an argument and someone else says, actually, there's a better way and you can take that and you can use it the next time, okay? So that's the third key. The fourth and final key is always respond. Uh, so I don't know if you get the reference, but this is, you know, when someone, when someone sends you a message on like WhatsApp or something, and then if you, if you don't respond to them, you just leave them on, on two blue ticks. You know, that's, that's pretty sad. Um, but debating is, um, how would I put it? One of the things that makes debating different from public speaking is the fact that you can respond to another team, right? You can respond to another team. And that is the best and easiest way to prove to a judge that you have beaten that team. It is the easiest way, right? Because what you don't want to happen is for you to, to make your case and for the, uh, for the other team to make their case and for the judge to go, well, both of you made a good case, but ultimately I thought theirs was a little bit stronger. Because unlike in you know, one of the cases, so here's, here's, an, here's an example for you, right? So I work in a company that does um, like recruitment. So it's our job to work with companies to hire people. And when we want to get business, you know, we have to go and we have to go and pitch. We have to go and explain to people why we can do the job well. So that is a forum where you don't get to rebut other people, right? So we go and present and we say, we can do it for this much money and this is how we will do it. We can't say, and in fact, if you let us sit around, if you let us sit around uh, the meeting room, the boardroom, I will tell you why the other competitors are worse than me. That doesn't happen, right? Like that cannot happen. Um, and so that that means I just have to do the best job I can. I do the best, and then it's out of my hands. Debating is different. Debating gives you the chance to engage and interact with someone else, and you should always take that opportunity. Now. That doesn't mean that you should respond to everything. Because if you respond to everything, that is not a good use of your 14 minutes. Right? Or it might not be. So again, and I'm, I'm going back to the same themes here, always respond to something that is important. And if it's important, give it the amount of attention and the amount of time and the amount of analysis that matches its level of importance. Right? Because this is an example where if you do too little response, that is bad. But if you do too much response, that is also bad. So give, let me give you an example of this. Let's say a team uh, in opening government is a very young team. It's a very new team, right? Um, sorry, the, the other way around. Uh, a team in opening opposition is a very young and a very new team. So you are in opening government, and your partner as the prime minister has given their speech. And it's a good speech. And then the leader of the opposition comes up, and because they are quite young and quite inexperienced, they're not very good. So they make many, many points, but all, almost all of them are irrelevant. Now, if you are the next speaker, you could spend your seven minutes saying why they're completely wrong. You could go through each one, one by one, and show all of those arguments are bad arguments. Uh, and in fact, you would be able to do so quite easily because all the arguments were bad, unfortunately for them. Is this a good use of your time? 
just stop and think about that for a second. Is this a good choice to make, given, given the things we've already talked about in this lecture? You know, hopefully it, it will become apparent to you uh, that that is, that is not a good use of your time. Right? It's not a good use of your time. Because the things you are responding to are not important. They were not well analyzed. And you know, to, to put it a different way, that would help you beat the opening opposition. But you are already beating the opening opposition, most likely. Right? So, um, again, responding to arguments is about making choices about how important you think their arguments are and how much time to respond, how much time you, you, you use to respond to something. Um, now, going back to that scenario of the, of the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister, if you were the Deputy Prime Minister, what would I advise you to do? Well, I would advise you to spend more time developing some new arguments and, and adding new arguments to your case. Because obviously, this would help you against your closing government because you would take up some of their material. And look, even if the Deputy Leader of the Opposition was very, very good, if the deputy leader of the opposition, how would I, how would I phrase this? So, you know, if your prime minister contributes the case, the leader of the opposition contributes nothing significant, and you spend your speech pointing out that the deputy the, that the leader of the opposition contributed nothing significant, the deputy leader of the opposition only needs to defeat one speech, your prime minister's speech, in order to win the top half. Whereas, if you spend your time building more stuff, the deputy leader of the opposition has more work to do. The deputy leader of the opposition has to do so much more things in the seven minutes that they have, and that makes it harder for them to win. So responding to things is only relevant when it is important. But when it is important, make sure you give it that attention because it is very easy to lose to an argument that you have ignored because you thought it was not important. Okay. Let's, let's take a pause here and recap the four, the four keys again, right? The first one was time management. The second one was clarity and illustration. The third one was arguments and building strong arguments. And the fourth one was about always responding. Now, I want you to, again, take a few minutes here and think about the debates that you have lost recently. I think my hope is that you will realize that one of these four things maybe more was the reason you didn't win, right? Most likely, the reason you don't win most debates is because one of these four things didn't quite work out well, maybe even more. And you might even have done one or two of these four things really, really well. But if you make one mistake somewhere in these four things, it's, a, it, it's an easy reason for the judge to give the loss against you. Right? So if you've ever lost a debate because the judge says, oh, you didn't respond to this strong framing from the other side, or if the judge says, I thought your extension um, you know, took a very high burden and you didn't prove it well. Right? Those are more obvious. And, and the one about time management is, is even like an invisible reason. A judge might never tell you that you've chosen the wrong things to focus on. Maybe the judge will say, oh, this was a very good point, but it came out too late in your speech. That speaks to time management. So I, I hope at this point you're beginning to see that these four things are are the four like you know basics behind every good speech. But I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy to do all four at the same time because you have so many things to think about. You need to think about the debate. You need to think about your own speaking. You need to try and 
remain confident. So many things are going on. But that, that right there is the problem to solve if you want to get good at debating. Right? That is, that is the most crucial challenge. And, and, and my hope is that when you can start thinking about it this way, you can start improving because you are asking yourself, how am I approaching this challenge? How am I approaching the problem? Okay, now, so let's, before I move on to the next part, which is some tips to improve and then get better along these four things, um, I, I guess, I, let me explain to you, let me tell you some stories of how I used to use these four things, you know, uh, and they take, take uh, you know, it's, it's going to sound a bit like an old person sitting by the porch and being like, oh, back in my day. So I, I hope you forgive me for that. Um, but, but these were things that you genuinely were very helpful to me. So one thing that I would often think about um, is, is how I made an argument. You know, let's say I, even if I won the debate or if I lost the debate, well, let's say you're on the way home from the practice debate, on the way home from the tournament, you know, you're, you're in the car, you're maybe just walking home, depending on where you are, you've got free time, you know, you've got free time. And, and, and what I used to do was just think like, oh, I said, I used these words, right? I said, it, I, this was the phrase used. You know, is, is there a different way we could have said that? It, it, could we have done it differently? Um, what, I wonder what would have happened if I tried this instead, you know? Um, maybe this was the thing I should have looked out for. Like, oh, that, that was what they were trying to say. And I said my response was this, but was there a better response? If you keep asking yourself these questions, that's one way in which you will start, you will, you will find yourself getting better. Because rather than just taking something that someone has told you, i.e. a judge might say, you must respond to the extension. And you're like, oh, next time I must respond to the extension. You know, human beings are not good at learning this, this way. Human beings should be learning by asking themselves, why am I doing something? So that's one thing I always did to try and, you know, every debate, I would just think about it and think about it and try and find a better way to do it. And then if I had something I wanted to try out, I would try it out the next time. Um, the, the second thing I would do in order to make myself do all these four things is I would force myself to achieve a small thing within a speech. So for instance, sometimes I wanted to force myself to um, not spend too much time starting out the debate and wasting my time. And so I will write on a piece of paper, you know, like, start quickly. Or, or maybe I, I know that my time management is poor, so I want to start building my arguments at the two-minute mark, right? Because I, I knew that my arguments deserved five minutes of time. So at the two-minute mark, I, I, would, I, I, would, you know, I would write something down, two minutes, I would draw a big circle around it. And so what I would try and do is, no matter what happened, in that speech, I was going to, to move to my arguments at two minutes. It didn't matter if the rebuttal before that was good or bad. That was not what I was trying to fix. I was trying to give myself the habit of moving at a certain time. And I did that once, I did that twice, until it got to the point where, okay, I now know I am confident that if I tell myself to move at this time, I will do that. Then you bring in something else. So now you bring in a new skill. You bring in like something else, but you try and keep the two-minute part or the, the time management part, you try and keep it constant. So now it's like juggling two balls, right? You get used to that. And then after that, you say, all right, what I'm also going to do is I'm also going to make sure that in my analysis, I am going to have one illustration for every argument I make. doesn't matter if I choose the right arguments or if I choose the wrong arguments. If I choose an argument, I must have one illustration. 
right? And you force yourself to focus on that, to make sure you have that. And then you move on. And then you say, okay, now I have my time management at two minutes and I have my illustration. I am going to now ask myself, why did I choose these arguments? And you, you build layers on top of each other. But the only person who can do that building is you, right? Most of us, and I didn't have a, I had a coach in high school, but I didn't have a coach in, in university. There is no coach who will yell at you like a sports coach and go, you know, hey, run faster, right? That, that doesn't happen in debating. So you have to be the person that tells yourself, this is what I'm going to do. This is what this speech is going to do and force yourself to do it. And if it doesn't happen, do it again until it works. If it doesn't happen, ask yourself, why didn't it happen? How can I make sure it happens? Okay, so um, my challenge to all of you is to start thinking about debating this way and to use these four keys to evaluate your own speeches, to think about how you could do better and to try and, you know, Think for yourself and, and, and figure out your journey towards being good at these four things. And I promise you that if you try and get better at all four things together, rather than, you know, don't just focus on one and ignore the other one. But if you make all four of them level up, I can promise you, you will get significantly better and you will begin to see the improvements. So that's the first portion done. Maybe it'd be good just to take a few questions at this point, not too long, a few questions, we can leave the rest for, for the end. Um, and then before I move on to the next section, which is, you know, what, what are some specific tips we could use to improve? Right. Um, so guys, if you have questions, please um, just type it out and let's just use these 10 minutes um, to, um, Take them. So just type them out. We're going to um, ask. Um, all right. So I have a couple here um, from some of the participants um, of the grid. So um, I, and I'm, I'm really glad that you spoke about some of the exercises you did um, to try and build one of these four um, things at a time. Um, but uh, has there been any time where, um, for example, you like have you eat like a stumbling block? So you're trying to practice time management, and then you realize that you've been on it for a while. Um, the piece of paper thing is not working. Um, a lot of things you're doing are not working. So what do you do? That's a, that's a great question. I will even go one further than that, and I'll say there have been many times where not only have I felt like it was not working, I felt like I was getting worse, right? And maybe you guys have as well. Um, that That is an awful feeling, and I know what it feels like. But, and this is something one of my earliest coaches told me, we when we, when we do things, right, when we do an activity, it doesn't look like a straight line upwards. It looks like a J, like, you know, the letter J in that we often have to become worse at something in order to become better, right? The reason for that is because when you are forcing yourself to do something differently in order to get better, you are, you are changing the way you do something. You're doing something you're not familiar with. And, and that always means, you know, maybe in the long run, the investment will pay off, but in the short run, that will not work out. I, I think... So to answer the question, you definitely I felt like things have, have you know, I've struggled to make them work before and, and I don't understand why. I think in those situations, there are two things you should, there are two things you could do and you should figure out which one is the right one. 
The first one is, do you think this approach you are trying, is, is there a long run, like, uh, is, there, is there something to be achieved at the end of it? Is, is it? Does it promise a benefit to you in the future, such that if you keep trying and you keep committing to it, it will eventually um, pay off for you, right? So is it, is it like the kind of taking medicine, right? You know that the medicine is going to be good for you, but you just don't know. It's just that it's, 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 it's not, it just doesn't taste good. Um, if the answer is yes, then my, my encouragement to you is to just fight through it, you know, to, to try and demonstrate persistence. Because if you know it's going to be good for you in the long run, you know, in any sport, right, in any activity, to get to get better at it, you have to have like the, you have to fight through it. And and what I would say is to just, what I find very helpful is knowing that everyone else has been in the same situation. You know, you're you're not alone in this, and that if you are trying something out and it's not working, that's okay. But the second thing is sometimes you might realize this isn't working and it's not your fault. It's what I said earlier on about how different people have different styles, right? So maybe at one point I might try writing out my speech in a certain way, and I realize, you know what? I, I just I think this is not this is not for me. This is not the thing that is going to get me there. Um, in which case, I would suggest try something different, try a new technique, or maybe even take a pause from it. Try doing something else in the four keys or something else in your debating, and then come back to it maybe a few months later when you've got a fresh perspective and you're willing to try something new. Right now, th this is this is I think part of why it is so hard. How can you tell the difference between something that is just not working out and that you should abandon, and something that you should stick on with? You know, if if I knew, I would be writing a book like telling people how to pick their careers and pick their love lives and all that. Right, it's the same the same principle there. Um, my advice there is is you know just try and be honest with yourself. Try and figure that out for yourself. You know, try and try and think about it and then see what works for you. Um, okay, but um, just to hold you down on that for a sec, um, like more specifically now about some of these things, right? So can you give us like examples of like the type of metrics you've used? So for example, um, if you're trying to illustrate um, something, if you're trying to draw examples, um, there's, some, there's some examples that are just off points, there's some examples that do not like capture the um, exactitude of the things you want to say. Is there any like are there like tests that you've used in the past to say okay what example is good what example is better? Do you get that line of thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I can I can give you some examples of how I think about these things that that that, that I use as a test, but I do want to emphasize that. Just because it works for me doesn't mean it works for, for everyone, right? So it's, it's a helpful like, example of what I mean by this. But uh, what is really much more important is the discovery process. You know, so I, I now know this works for me because I've gone through that process. And I want to stress how important that is for everyone as well. But anyway, so he, here's an example of that. When I think of an illustration and I want it to be a good illustration, uh, I've, I've found that a few things are helpful. The first is that I try and add in as much detail as possible. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen this study. I, I, I'll, I, I, don't, I don't want to waste too much time on it, but I'll skip, I'll skip ahead. But basically, most human beings find that when a story has more details, it is more likely to be true. Even if, from a statistical perspective, when a story has fewer details, 
you know, it, it's, it's more logically likely that it is true because there are fewer requirements on it to be true. And, and what that means is you know, we human beings think in terms of stories. We think in terms of whether we can visualize what's going on. So for me, I might say to myself, my illustration, I, I want my illustrations to, A, have a lot of surrounding detail. You know, not just to say something as simple as like, someone could do this and could do that. I try and include details like, I, I try and think about, you know, how old is this person? What kind of socioeconomic class are they from? Are they a student? Are they an employee? You know, are they are they working in a blue collar job, a white collar job? What kind of what kind of country are they in, right? Are they are they in a developing country like Cambodia, or Vietnam? Are they in an emerging economy like is 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 this about Turkey? Is this about um, Central European states, or is this really about you know the, the develop, developed world, someone in the UK? I try and think about what kind of person they are. I try and think you know is this about them as a family person? Is this about their relationship with their children? And, and I try and I try and imagine in my head who are the people that this debate would affect. Who would I be interviewing and trying to get their perspective and their story? And I feel like if I can speak their perspective in my speech, if I can advocate on their behalf, that is a good illustration. So does does that make sense? Like that is how I that is like and so then that. What I what I have done in the past is I'll I'll write this down beforehand, right? I'll say my illustration should have these things, and then what I'll do is I'll give my speech, and after the speech I might come back and compare my notes to what I said and go, did I did I achieve what I thought was good, right? And maybe I'll say, oh, the next time I'll do it this way, or maybe I I and here's the other cool thing about it, um, you can learn from other people as well. So maybe I see someone else debate and I and they use a very good illustration. Now I don't know how they thought of that. Maybe it's because they had a friend. Maybe it's because they were very clever. But I might say, oh, I've realized that in their illustrations, they always talk about emotions. They always talk about how this makes people feel, right? Who, who are the vic- they talk about the victim's perspective of the emotional hurt or the emotional anguish, the torment. Maybe I should try and do that too. So then I'll write down in my own guidebook, illustrations, use emotion. And then I'll go to the next debate and then I will try and make an, an illustration with emotion, and then I will compare that to my notes and say, did I manage to achieve what I set up? So I, I hope that is you know, an, a good example of how you can draw out like a, like, a, like a guidebook for yourself, and then to compare what you did in the debate to what you were trying to achieve, and then you know, improving step, step by step. Welcome to the next step series with Tequitan. So we have some questions from the floor. I'll just take them as a batch so that you can just answer them together and then we move forward, right? So I think, uh, yeah, Ali23 is asking uh, what metric is used to measure deep analysis and i think that ties into what you just said um at one per se was asking how do you go the extra mile 
when um, doing the normal is hard. Um, then finally, um, I just want to ask, right, um, where does your partner come into all of this, right? Because the breathing is a team sport, right? So in trying to develop along all of these lines, um, what do you think you should be doing for yourself? And also like your debate partners, like is there, um, um, should there be an accountability mechanism in there, right? In your experience, how do you think that plays out? Uh, okay. So I, I caught the third question, which is on the partner uh, stuff, and I have some thoughts on that. Um, the second question you asked me, or the, the one before that, was about how do you go the extra mile? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's true. In, uh, in, in what context? Like in proving an argument? or? Well, the question was general, but if I would add to that, okay. it could mean in uh, like overall development, it could mean in... Uh, like assessing yourself in all of these things, it could also mean um, for argument. Okay, um, I'm gonna leave that that question. It's a, it's a great question. Um, I want to leave that question for the next part because I have some, I have some like things prepared in there, so I'll, I'll remember it and come back to that. But uh, uh, so maybe I'll talk about the partner one and then we'll move on to the next section because I think the partner one is something I hadn't considered, uh, but I do have some strong thoughts. You know, I. I've like debated with a number of partners um, at big competitions, and you know have have grown very close to them. And obviously, we we are good friends. Um, that's not to say you have to be good friends with the people you debate with, but I think this is the way I think about debate partnerships. So the first is like with any team sport, you need um, you need very very good communication with each other, because um, you know you're you're going to be working so closely with each other. You're going to be telling each other what to say, what to do. And good communication means that, number one, you are not likely to misunderstand each other, right? So if someone says, oh, let's make this argument, if, you, if, you, you know, if you've got a good history of communication, then you'll, you'll know what each other means. But I think the other thing that's equally important is debating is stressful, right? Debating is stressful. There's a lot that's happening and you're with your partner in a short span of time. Um, so good communication, I think, means... For me, it means agreeing with my partner that we are doing what we're doing in order to win. It's not personal, right? It's not like if they tell me, no, no, that's that's a stupid point. I I don't go away thinking I'm stupid. I go away thinking, oh, that that was not the right choice to make. You know that if you see the difference, right? It's it's not personal to what they think about me and what I think about them. And I think that's very important, uh, especially if you are if you are going to compete at tournaments with someone quite regularly. Um, and this, that's the first thing. So the first thing is communication. It's very important. You know, you have a, you have a common goal, and make sure that you, when you guys work together, when you work together with your partner, you're always on the same page about what you're trying to achieve and how you do that. The second thing I would say is is to to not have an ego. So I've already suggested this right about the whole. Um, if my partner says to me that's a stupid point, I won't be offended, because I know that. In the real world, you know, if you think someone's argument is stupid, you normally don't say that, right? You you say, "Oh, um, maybe we should reconsider the perspective. We should like look at it this way instead." You know, to be polite, and and that's good because you know politeness is a good thing to have in society. Is that a good use of your 15 minutes of time? Probably not. Probably not. So, I, I think that's the other thing that's very important. 
to leave your ego at the door and, and to do what the team requires of you. Um, I guess the most common thing I've seen is where I myself might not fully understand or fully agree with a point, but my partner is convinced is very important. And sometimes there's just not enough time to explain why that is the correct choice to make, right? Why that's the correct decision to make. Obviously, you should, and you and your partner should talk about it. But there are always going to be some cases where someone will say to you, no, just trust me, just trust me, this is the right thing to do. And, and something I've learned since when I was debating in, in school all the way up, and I've taken it with me, and, and you know, for me, that's, I would advise, you know, I, I, it's something I would 100% recommend and advise, is to, is to have that trust. And, and when your partner says, let's do this, and I, I know it's the right thing to do, even if you're not 100% sure, you know, part of that trust is, is about going with that decision. And if it's the right decision, later on you can understand why and speak about it. And if it's the wrong decision, if it's the wrong decision, that happens. You know, it's not their fault. It's not your fault. And it's, it's just part of the sport. And, and it's a good learning opportunity where you figure out why you made the choice or why you didn't make the choice. And, and you as a team together grow stronger. Right? You as a team talk about how you can avoid these things in the future. Great. Um, um, all right. So I, I don't know. Oh, sorry. Yes. Is there more, more questions? Yeah. Very quickly before you move on. Um, I, are you done with the points on partnership? Sorry. Uh, I, I think so. There's yeah. a lot to be said around partnerships and it, it wasn't really the main focus here. So yeah, I get it. Um, happy, happy to talk more if, if people, if people want to hear more about it though. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know what, uh, what, what, uh, What's the most popular? So happy to talk more if, if there's follow-up questions. Um, um, no, actually, uh, I just want to quickly take this question before we move on, uh, because I think this okay. great is from B Miracle. It says, what are the mechanisms of engaging a new motion that you have no idea of? Or you have... Ah, it's a great question. Yeah. Th thank you for that question. Um, What I would try, what I always try and do in motions like these, is I try and, I start by doing two things, two things. The first is I ask myself, what do I know about this area of the debate? It's not necessarily about the motion, because I said that you don't really know that much about the motion, but what do I know about this area? So if the debate is about like some geopolitical thing, I might ask myself, okay, I don't know that much about Turkey, but I do know maybe Turkey is in the sort of Central Asia, Middle East area. What do I know is going on in that area? And, and I try and make a list of the knowledge I do have. And I try and use that knowledge in some way in the arguments I make. Right? That's one step I, I do. In, in, it's obviously not perfect, but you, you try that. The second thing I try and do is to think about the specific parts of the debate. Um, Oh, this is this is not a very good explanation, so I do apologize. But usually a debate motion will have a few parts, right? You know, have like maybe a mechanism and you have like a policy and specific things. And and I'll try and just read the motion and break it down into bit by bit and, and go, okay, what do I know about this thing? What what are the controversies in this area, this part of the debate? Um or, or it, sometimes there is an information slide. Right? There's information slide and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know anything about this. I look at the information slide and I go, okay, they've told us these facts. Let's go through them one by one. Could this fact be relevant? 
have I seen a similar debate around this fact? Can I try and copy and paste an argument? Then I move on to the next one, next one. And, and I just basically, my approach is, it's a bit like, you know, when you do an exam question and you haven't prepared for it, you just do the best you can and you just try and link anything you do have to that, right? Um, I appreciate it's not very, it's not the, it's not the, like, it's, it's not a very thorough suggestion I'm offering here, um, but it's, it's, it's hard, right? It's, it's, it's always hard when you have a debate motion you've never seen before. But my advice is to do, is to do those two things. Number one, don't panic. You know, the time for panic is, is, is after the debate ends. And number two, try and draw on anything you have, either a factual knowledge or either something about the motion, anything you've seen before that is similar. Just try and draw on any simple thing. And, and actually, sorry, there, there is a third thing. There's a third thing that's very important. When you have a debate motion you're not sure about or you've never seen before, just be even more clear about what you are doing. Be even more clear about how the motion links to your arguments. Because at the very least, you're giving yourself a fighting chance. Right? If you just spend your seven minutes like trying to make all kinds of arguments and say many things because you're not sure what the right thing is, you know, it, it's it's going to be counterproductive. Whereas if you say, let's be honest, I, I don't know very much about ah, I've got a great example of this. I've got a great example, and I will I will send you guys a video link to watch this. There was a debate about paying countries in Southeast Asia to take, um, refu take on Rohingya refugees from Myanmar. My question is, do you guys know um, who the Rohingya are and, and where Myanmar is? Okay, I appreciate you can't answer me, but, but some of you may do, which is good. Some of you may not, and that's also fine. This was a debate final, a grand final um, of a tournament I attended very long time ago when I was still in school. And one team that was in that final was a team from, um, I think it was, it was a team from outside the region. It was not from Southeast Asia. I can't remember exactly where they were from, right? Um, so in, 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 a, in a debate full of uh, um, Asian speakers, there was like these two, these two speakers who were, who were uh, non-Asian, non I think, here. Yeah. And they had absolutely no idea what was going on, right? Can you imagine how stressful it must be to be in a final like that and to not know? And what they did was essentially they, they said, they even said this out loud, like, we don't know very much about Myanmar, we don't know very much about the Rohingya, but we do know what refugees are and we do obviously know what paying is, so we will just make some general arguments about why paying for refugees is a bad idea. Uh, did they win? Unfortunately not. This story doesn't have the happiest ending. But did they make good arguments? Yes, they did. Because what they did was they asked themselves, what do I know about refugees? What do I know about payments? What do I know about countries paying other countries? Let me put this together into one or two arguments and, and explain how, even though I don't know some parts of it, I can use the other parts to show why this is relevant. So I'll, I'll dig up the debate if I can and, and see if I can find it. Again, it's, it's so long ago now, I can't quite remember. But, but I hope that's a useful example of what I mean by um, don't panic, figure out what you know and use that in the debate. Yeah, Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. yes. Okay, great. Um, I, I apologize, I wasn't, I wasn't very prepared for that one, so I had to recall something, but I think that was uh, it's a good example. Okay, um, so some of your questions so far, and, and thank you to everyone for your questions and your thoughts. Um, some of that is around specific details, right? How to improve or how do you 
um, you know, when, how, how do you go the extra mile when, when it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough doing these things. So I've prepared a list of tips to help you improve. Um, and these were things which, I, I, I guess I chose these things because they weren't obvious. I think some of the more obvious ones, I, I don't want to repeat again. So I, I hope these are um, along the right track and useful. So the first of these is experiment. You might already have gotten this impression, but experimenting is is the way to get better. Experiment on all things. Experiment on the way you judge, on the way you track, on the structure of your speech, on the types of arguments you are making. Anything at all. Experiment. Try different things and see what works best for you. Um, and, and remember what I said earlier on about the, the J curve, right? The fact that you will get worse at something before you get better. Every company out there is experimenting. You know, when you buy something online, when you, you go to a shop, they're experimenting with the pricing, they're experimenting with the marketing, experimenting with everything. And the point is, all of that gives you more, more information about what you should be doing. Um, but it's not like, you know, a, a good experiment works well, but a bad experiment could also be bad, right? So when you, when you experiment, try and, try and think about what you are doing differently. You know, I, I kind of gave some examples of this earlier on um, when we talked about illustrations, right? I said that I would write down what I would want my illustration to look like, and then I would experiment with having it. I, I, um, I would used to write, you know, two minutes, and then I would circle that in bold. That was an experiment because I didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know if looking at that big circle on my paper, I would do something differently. Maybe for you, um, you could do a different experiment. You could use a post-it note. You could use a different color pen. Um, I know some teams back in back in the day who would use different like stickers. So if there was a red sticker, they would they would sound more angry. If it was a yellow sticker, they would sound more sad. And if it was a green sticker, they would sound happy. Um, not that not that I think you should do that, but you could do something similar. You know, you could have like a green sticker to say this is an illustration. You could put a red sticker to say this is the logic. All right. You. My point is there are many many things you can do. Try and fix, try and you know, see see what works for you. Second of all, I, I think I can't remember who it was that said it, you know. But but um, I think it was the, the I think the saying goes something like "talent borrows, genius steals," um, and and don't underestimate just how much of the world's smartest people or the world's best debaters and thinkers and and whatnot have borrowed and stolen ideas from other people. Um, and and that's, that's frankly, that's okay. That's, that's part of what makes this community so special. So don't be afraid to, if you see um, you know, MDG doing something a certain way, copy that, try that, see if it works for you. I want to give an example of this because I, I feel like uh, these examples are helpful. So one thing that I learned from, um, yeah, from, from Ashish and Michael. So Ashish is obviously my, my senior from Singapore. Uh, and you know, they, they both debated in the UK. So at some point, I was passed with them. Is they, in their speeches, had the concept of a second frame. Right? A second frame. So how did they do this? Well, Ashish would speak first, and he would uh, spend about five minutes on one argument or one main point, and then spend two minutes on another point. So the, the, the two-minute argument sounded quite insignificant, right? It sounds very small. It sounds less important. And usually, the other team would ignore it. And then what Michael would do coming up after that is he would um, 
use that second argument that Ashish had made and make that very, very significant. And so suddenly it looks like the other team has neglected a very important area of the debate because of their strategy. So when we heard about this, you know, my partner and I, we also started experimenting with the second frame and how we would use that. Um, and by the time we had finished, we actually found a different way of using it. Our second frame was just to make sure that our second speaker had something new that was helping the judge see the debate in an entirely different way. Now, how did we come to that? We didn't come to that because we just sat down and thought, how can we debate better? We came to that because we heard about something that someone else was doing and we tried doing it and we found that it didn't work very well for us. We asked ourselves how we could make it better and you know, gradually came to something that worked for us. So I, I want to encourage you all to do this. You know, when you see more experienced speakers or judges, ask them. Ask them questions like, how would you approach this motion? How would you try and prove this? And it doesn't mean that whatever their answer is, is the right answer. It's the right answer for them. But for you, it's, it's for you to, to see how you can make use of that in the future. Right? Um, but, but I guess if I had to leave you with one thing, it's start experimenting. Doesn't matter if it's perfect. Doesn't matter if you're not experimenting with everything immediately. It doesn't matter if all you're experimenting with is something simple like how you write your notes or practicing speaking with fewer sheets of paper. That's an experiment as well, right? Practicing speaking with only one sheet of paper, two sheets of paper. Um, this is something that you know, I, I, I firmly believe in. It's always better to start and to get the momentum going than, than never start at all, basically. Right? So don't worry about making your, your first experiment doesn't have to be super crazy and big and, and scary. It can be something small, something you're comfortable with, try it out and come to your own conclusion. I want to do it this way, or maybe the answer is I want to keep doing it the way I've always done it. That's fine. Either way, you've now learned something about yourself and how to get better as a debater. Uh, the next thing is discipline. You know, I said this earlier on that unlike in sports, you don't have a coach. You don't have someone who will say, you must do this. This is the way you do it. In other words, you have to take ownership of your own improvement. You have to think about where you want to be and to, to guide yourself there. So we've already talked about the experimenting. We've already talked about asking yourself, why did I make this choice? How can you, what are some concrete steps you can take to do that? So number one is you can set targets. You can set targets like, as I've again suggested, all my arguments must have one illustration per argument. That, that's a pretty good target, right? Because it's a target that you either have or you either you either have or you don't have. So a target like, I want to get better at illustrations. I want to get, I want to improve at illustrations. That is a very hard target to use. Who, who can tell if the target's been met? Right? It's, it's so ambiguous. Whereas if you can try and commit to something that's more, you know, it's more concrete that you can easily point to, something like one illustration per speech, one illustration per argument, you can tell for yourself whether you've passed or whether you've failed that target. Something else you can do is to start a notebook to track good arguments that you've made or good arguments that you've heard. Um, I used to do this where I would keep my notes after every tournament and I would write the arguments down that we used in the tournament and I would use in a different color additions to that argument. So my original argument would be, would be in black and white and my, new, my improvements would be in red 
you know, or blue or green. Um, and I would record that. And so once in a while, I could come back and look at that and refresh my mind of the things I've learned. Um, it might also be things like guiding principles, you know, so the, the, the whole, the whole thing, the things I've talked to you about, things like always ask why or always ask if this is the controversial part of an argument. That was based on this, this, this sort of practice. You know, I would, in my notebook, I would write the arguments that I initially used. I would write the improvements and then I would look at the improvements and go, oh, I have a, I have a pattern of ignoring the, the controversial part of an argument, which is why I keep having to change the same things. And that's how a rule comes about. So uh, what else can you do? You can also record your own speeches. Uh, record your own speeches and listen to them after that. It's, it's, it's very painful. I, I both recommend and not recommend it. Um, it, it, is, it is always hard to listen to yourself. But again, it's very helpful. Right? You can listen to yourself and say, how would I do it differently? And then maybe you record yourself doing the improved version. So these are all the types of things you can do to um, you know, put in place some of the things we've talked about. Um, and you see, see what works best for you. Maybe, yeah, it's, it's, it, it really is whatever you're most comfortable with. But what all these things have in common is discipline. You know, it's like, it's like going on a diet or going to exercise. Um, I hate going on a run because for me, I just don't like running. But I know it's important so I try and do things to make sure I do it at the right times. Okay, so that's, that's discipline. The next thing I think is very important is humility. And I, I think, you know, the fact that you're all here for this session on a Saturday is, is great. You know, clearly you guys all want to improve. Um, but for me, humility is also about recognizing that any time you do some debating, there is an opportunity to learn. Um, you know, e even a session like this now, when, when, I, when I prepared this set of slides and my notes for you guys, it made me think about what I was doing. And, and as a result, it helped me clarify in my head what I was always doing. So I think sometimes this happens, right, where, where people go and judge a tournament or they, they debate in a weaker debate that people are not as good as them. Um, and it's easy to just think, oh, okay, you know, I've won the debate. So, yeah, that was fine. I won the debate. But part of the mindset that makes great debaters great is recognizing that at any opportunity, there is some, some opportunity to learn. There is some opportunity to pick something up and add it to your, to your arsenal, add it to your bag of tricks. Um, even if those people aren't as good as you, even if those people are less experienced than you, even if those are people that you consistently defeat, there is always an advantage to trying to see where you can tease out something you can learn and, and, and incorporate. Um, the next one is, is confidence. Because actually, this is, this is the thing I wanted to, to get to um, in response to the question about how, how to go on when, when things are hard. You know, um, I think this, this is... Yeah. I mean... It's tough, right? I, I, the first thing I would say is, um, for me personally, debating is not a journey that I walked alone. I would not be where I am if not for the support of people who are older than me, younger than me, people who just were willing to support me along the way um, because it is emotionally draining, because it is tiring and it is sometimes very hard. And 
and and because you know it, it it is hard to go the extra mile when when yeah in in all these scenarios. My advice here would be to would would be to sort of my my advice here would be to recognize that that's part of the journey, but try and have confidence in yourself that if you stick to the process and if you stick to what you're doing, you will end up where you need to be. And and that again the the struggles you're going through I I, I can't possibly you know relate to all of your struggles. I won't I won't try and pretend that I know exactly what everyone is going through. But what I will say is I'm pretty confident every successful debater has gone through phases where they felt like they're not going to make it, that they're not improving, that they're um, they're trying again and again and it's not making a difference. Sometimes it's all about having that added level of persistence to just keep at it until you cross into the next stage, right? And to look back at how far you've come and go, actually, no, I, I, I can do this. Um, it's not easy, but what I would encourage all of you to do is, is just, you know, tap on the other people in your community, in your society, your friends, speak to them about struggles you're facing, um, you know, get their advice, get their thoughts. And I think you'll, you'll find that lots of people are really generous, generous with their time and generous with their advice and their expertise. Um, and, you know, but but also generous with their emotional support, right? With their courage, with their um, with their friendship, um, and that is for me part of what makes debating so great. You know, I, I have had experiences where you know I've lost debates to people who I would need to eventually beat, and yet despite all that, we were good friends and you know support each other and give each other feedback on how we could get better. Um, so yeah, I I know I'm not I'm not the best motivational speaker. Um, but but I guess what I wanted to say here is just that this is it's not easy. But um, you know I, I hope all of you keep keep the faith with it and and um, and appreciate that you're not alone. Um, and and hopefully that will make this journey you're on um, somewhat easier going forward. All right, three three more specific things I think that will be helpful tips. Uh, and then I, I'll I'll take even more questions. The first is to always get feedback from judges. Uh, I think this goes without saying. That being said, I am all too willing to concede that many judges are bad. Or some judges are not necessarily bad, but they're not experienced enough to tell you exactly what you need to do to get better. So one thing I want you to think about is, is not to just take the feedback from a judge literally and go, oh, they said this, so I'm going to do that. But it's to ask yourself, what is the hidden message behind what they're saying? What are they actually trying to say? Or in other words, what can I do differently so that they no longer say this thing? So I don't know if you've ever get instances where a judge says something like, oh, I thought this argument was not well proven. Okay, what does that mean? Well, what that really means in plain, in the plain, plain English is some logic was missing. Some part was not plausible. And if a judge ever says to you, this was not well proven, um, I would, I would encourage you to ask very politely, of course, some follow-up questions to try and understand exactly the problem there. So for instance, you might ask, well, okay, which part did you not believe? You know, which, which part did you find the, the hardest to believe? Which was the part that you thought was the most um, controversial? You might ask them questions like, uh, how would you have gone about proving that segment? You know, do you think this, um, this had to do with the response that the other team offered, or was it just that you didn't even find the argument believable from 
the first place. So asking questions about judge feedback will help you identify what you need to do better. Similarly, I'm sure you've had judges tell you things like, oh, I thought this argument was just not very intuitive or not very plausible. What do they really mean by that? What they mean by that is, is seldom that the argument is wrong. What they really mean by that is you didn't use enough real-world examples or real-world illustrations to make the concept seem like it was realistic, right? So it's a bit like being a doctor. You know, the, the, what the judge tells you is like a symptom. And what you need to do is ask yourself, okay, so this is the symptom. This is the problem they have. What's the cure? What's my solution right, in, in the long run? Um, but always, always, if you can, get feedback from judges um, and try and understand that perspective. Always ask them questions. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. But, but of course, you know, be, be polite and be respectful. Don't argue with a judge. Um, but do ask them questions to help you understand exactly what you could have done differently in, in the future, right? Exactly what the lesson is to learn. Um, because that, you know, being specific is, is, is what's going to help you improve. All right, second last one, judge more debates. Judge more debates. It's a great way to get better. You know, when I first started out, I didn't make the squad for, for, for my university, so I had to spend a bit of time judging. You learn so much about debating based on how judging works. I want to give you an example of this. Have you ever thought about it this way? Let's say four of us are judging together right now, um, and we have 15 minutes to come to a conclusion, right? That's the sort of the average at Worlds. So 15 minutes in the judge discussion divided by four people is about three and a half minutes, let's say. Three and a half, three and three quarter minutes per, per person. So each one of us on a panel together has three minutes and about maybe 40, 3 minutes, 45 seconds, to talk about the whole debate. And now let's say each one of us splits that time into four and talks about each team. That means you have less than one minute per person on the panel to talk about your contributions. So if the chair thinks you've won, but the wings don't think you've won, on average, the chair has about 45 seconds to persuade them very quickly that you have won the debate. Right, that that's that's scary. Like, just think about that, you know. And and this is assuming all things being equal. If the debate was quite straightforward, you know, if the debate was super complicated, then, you know, God only knows how the judge would spend their time. But once I started judging, I realized that, right? I realized how little time is spent being able to discuss teams, and I realized how how much judges focus on the biggest things that you say as opposed to the small things that you say. And once I realized that, it just changed the way I debate. It's why I now suggest to you that rather than spend two minutes on five different things, you should spend two minutes on one thing and make sure that that one thing leaves a strong impression. In other words, make sure that that one thing is clear. It is clear and illustrated, so it leaves that impression. Because it will all, you know, and, and, and all of this stemmed from the fact that I, I started judging and I understood what that perspective is like. So, Again, I, I would advise you to try and understand how a good judge judges debates by judging alongside them. Try and learn what judges look out for because that will give you the tools you need to um, you know, think back and, and, and debate better. All right, my final slide is, is knowledge. Um, we all know that knowledge is important in debating, but I don't think we all know what kind of knowledge is important in debating. 
For me, I found that knowing hard facts about the world was less important than knowing a broad range of knowledge and experiences. Um, I, I think that is what makes debating so powerful. The fact that tomorrow you might be asked to argue the perspective of, of, of a Muslim woman in the Middle East. The next day you might be asked to argue the perspective of someone in Central Europe with regards to European Union policy. And then the next day you might be asked to argue the perspective of a general global citizen about the United Nations. And what that means is what you, the, the knowledge that is most useful is knowledge about human experiences, about being able to understand what human beings care about, what matters in their lives, um, and how they see the world. And that's not to say that you know, knowing facts is not important, but between um, you know, knowing a lot of statistics about China's GDP and reading a news article on, the, on how it feels like to be um, a Chinese man in a country where there is a, such a lopsided um, you know, gender ratio between men and women and how that affects their job prospects and their marriage prospects and their inability to create a family, I would always pick the article. You know why? Because even if we never debate gender issues in China, knowing what it feels like to be in that situation means that if I ever had to make an argument about children or about families or about adoptions, even if it's not about China, I have some understanding into what it's like to be, to be in that place, right? Um, and, and I think that is, that, is, that is the knowledge that we often forget about. You know, we, fairly young people in university, our, our range of life experiences is quite small. Um, the way to become better at making arguments, at thinking of arguments, is to, is to hear the stories of other people. Let me give some examples of the kinds of things that I watch and, and read in order to try and... Or at least, I don't, I don't consciously read them to get better at debating, but these are things that I have found have helped me in the past, and you know, maybe you can see if it, it works for you as well. Um, there's a TV series uh, called Jane the Virgin. I think um, it, it's a US series, and what it is about, it, it is about um, three Hispanic women who, uh, you know, the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter, and they're all very religious, they're all very Catholic, and you know, one day, because of a mix-up, you know, she gets pregnant um, at, at the doctor's office. And, and that spirals down into you know, dealing with issues like, obviously, from a very Catholic religious household to have a child at that age out of, um, out of marriage is, is obviously very bad. And um, you know, eventually, the family is very upset, but then they, the power of the familial love overcomes that. But it is also about things like being an immigrant in the US, right? Very, very, um, very, very political hot hot button topic because the grandmother, because she is so old, arrived in the US illegally. And it becomes there's there's one episode there that is about um, the fact that she's afraid that she will be discovered and she will be deported, you know, to Latin America. And she's and and, and the episode tells the story of how that how that affects the whole family, right? How, how scary it feels. Um, and I must, you know, for, for me, that, that was something that was completely new because, you know, coming from Singapore and also now being in, in, in the UK where I work, I, I, I kind of, I am an immigrant, but it's not the same, you know? 
again, this TV show, if you ask most debaters, would you watch a TV show to get better at debating? People would say no. But if you pick the right shows and you pick the right areas to learn more about the world, you'll quickly realize that learning about the world is a great way to give you perspective and to give you life experiences. And, and that is um, very, very crucial in debating. So um, that's my last slide. I'll just very quickly summarize what I've talked about. You know, I think that the four keys, we've, we've talked about that. We've gone through why they're important. We've gone through how they should help you think about debating in a different way. And then here, I've just talked about some of the practices and habits and, 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 and mindset, right? The attitude I try and have um, to get better at debating. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a great time. Let, let's, let's jump to questions. You know, if you have questions about specific things, you have questions about how I've done stuff in the past, or if you want to ask questions about how you should try and do something, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to offer advice and, and, and point you in the right direction. So yeah, if you guys have any questions, you know, pop, pop them in the, the thread and um, over time, I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing some of the questions you've, you've got for, for me. Welcome to the next step series with Tech with Time. All right, thank you very much, Tech, for um, those very insightful words and the motivational bits too. Um, so let's let's just start off from where you ended, right? Uh, on how to uh, focus more on qualifying experience on learning about things, experiences, and, um, you know, watching movies, um, reading articles and all of that. Um, my concern or my question then becomes, um, how do you qualify that sort of knowledge? So, you know, when you have artifacts, you can easily write them down or store them somewhere so that, for example, you're preparing for words, you need to know what's going on in the world, and then you can start piling up stuff. But for experiences, uh, how do you do, or do you even need to do that in the first place? Do you get my question? Oh, I, I definitely do. Uh, it's a great question, so th thank you for that. What I used to do a long, so yeah, what I used to do a long time ago was um, I would write down, I would pick an article and I would write five, five lines summarizing the article. So just five bullet points. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of those things where, where making the notes, forcing myself to summarize this article into five bullet points was actually more powerful than reading the article itself. Because when you read an article, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, and you move on to the next thing. But when you force yourself to pick the five biggest bullet points, five lines, you know, you, 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 you find a way to summarize it. And then at the same time, I now have this summary. And what I would do is, is I would read that summary, you know? So it, it, it's a bit like having a case file. It's like, oh, this is an interesting article about the fate of, um, about the fate of, of um, persecuted religious minorities in, in Western, in Northern China. That could, that could add to a meta file, but it, it, I guess, from, from, okay, I, I'm not explaining this very well, but basically what I would do is I would take five biggest things from that article 
And rather than just focus on the facts, I would have a balance of facts, but also emotive words and emotive descriptions, right? Emotive language or quote. If, if you know, if they spoke to a victim or whatnot, I'd have a quote down, I'd have that story, I'd have that illustration. And what I would do is this would be part of my, um, my meta prep for, for, for a competition. So maybe like from flying from, um, from, from where I was to the competition on the plane, I would just open up or look at my list of articles and just you know, look, look through the articles. I actually, I actually remember this. Actually. Maybe I can go dig it up and, and show you what that looks like for me. But I would just, just scroll through and, and read and, and keep it in the back of my head so that the next time I debate, I will remember those things. Um, but it's also not stressful, right? It's not like memorizing facts, which I find very stressful personally. I, I, I really don't like doing that. For me, it's just like reading my own notes and going, oh, yeah, I remember reading that. That was cool. Um, so that's one way you, that, that's how I maybe would recommend um, building up this knowledge, you know? The article, summarizing it. When you summarize it, don't just focus on the facts, focus on the human story, right? The human angle. Keep that stuff somewhere. And the next time you have a chance, just pull it up and read through it, see if it's helpful. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, but just to add um, a bit of another perspective um, to, the, to this same um, line of broadening um, our, our knowledge base. So I'm thinking, um, of obviously, you come across a whole lot of articles, right? And a whole lot of things in movies and all of that. Um, but for people who, who um, like, even if, if they don't do with consciousness, um, when things um, um, when issues are caught, um, they check out things. Uh, um, you am cut I still off for a while, but I think now you're, now you're fine. Yeah, so um, if um, for that sort of person who uh, might never come across, like, for example, if that sort of person might never come across sophisticated material or article, um, is there a formula to it? So if you are preparing for a tournament, do you say, okay, I want to check out things on, um, let's say, international relations, for example, or I want to check out things on identity politics. Um, is that a thing you do or you recommend? Uh, that is a good question. I, I know many people who do that. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely heard people like prepare for, a, for that before. I, I've never done that personally. Um, I'm a bit embarrassed to say it, it might be because I'm lazy. It might not, it, you know, it, it might be one of those things where I've just never realized it's good, but I'm, I, I've never been like, you know, the most focused on stuff. So to be honest, I, I, I don't want to say whether it's helpful or not because I've never done it. Um, it's just that for me, I've always tried to spread out the work. So it's more like every week I do one or two, which I prefer to um, try to, kind of sit down at the last moment and, and read and prepare. Um, but what I, what, I, <laughs> what I do do before a big competition is I, um, I guess I sit down with my partner and think about what the current issues in the world are, right? The big issues. So, so rather than just go, I guess, yeah, I guess I do something similar where I say, you know, IR, identity politics. But instead of trying to just read up everything I can about that, I try and focus on what the most recent one or two things are. Because 
quite honestly, in, in most debates, you only need one or two contexts or examples to help you understand the debate, right? And so the advantage of thinking about this in terms of, all right, for this topic, what are the most recent one or two issues? Is if the CA team sets a motion that is general, you're fine, you're covered, you've got the most recent stuff. If the CA team decides to set something about the most recent stuff specifically, you're also covered. So that I would say is perhaps my, like my, my <laughs> advice if you had a lot of time is to spread it out and to do it regularly so that you don't feel the stress of doing it all at once. But if you are short on time and you are preparing for something soon, I would say for every big topic, pick the one to two most, um, the most like, the most current things and do a bit of in-depth research on that. I hope that answers the, the question. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. So I have a question here from Alicia 3 and it says, um, does content depth in debates always win over principle justification? Uh, great question. I am going to do a bit of a shameless plug and I will say, the, uh, I, I hope all of you actually, if, if you have some time and some, some free time to spare, um, go and find the Korea WUDC training program YouTube channel. Uh, we are also on Facebook um, and, and go and watch those videos. Um, right now, we have put out some stuff that's very early stage on judge tracking. There are some workshops on gender identity and identity politics that are coming up soon. And the next module we are doing is about how to judge principle versus practical arguments. My short answer is principle arguments don't always lose, but principle arguments do require more. Um, they, they, they are harder to build, I would say. Uh, and so I would direct all of you to watch the workshop that's coming up about principle versus practical, because um, you know one of one of our one of my fellow uh, Korea WDC um, CAP members is going to be talking about how to judge principle versus practical arguments. But if you remember what I said, from understanding how it is going to be judged, you should also be able to figure out how to build it better. Uh, so it's a great question. And, you know, I, I'm going to plug my content elsewhere. I hope that's okay. Um, but I would, I would really recommend all of you go there because we've, we're really, you know, we're planning that workshop and it's going to, especially focus on that specific question of principle and practical. So um, that's probably the best place for you to, um, to do that. And, and the best part about it as well is if you find us on YouTube or Facebook or wherever it is, you have the opportunity to ask questions about that topic. So if you find us on YouTube, you can ask questions on the, on the YouTube channel and, and we will post the answers there as well. So um, I hope you don't mind that, that I'm passing the question on, but I feel like that is the best um, best resource to, to answer that and it'll be coming out soon yeah we'll definitely check them out all right so next question is from Undukwe and then it says how do you go about note taking during prep and I think I'm going to expand that question to also include note taking during debates too so um, it has to be those two so how do you go about note taking when you're prepping then um, when you're debating, I have to respond. Okay, great questions. Uh, thank you very much for both of those questions. As, as always, I'm going to start by saying I, I will, I'll tell you what I do, but bear in mind, 
this may not be what works best for you, so try it out until you are comfortable. I do it differently depending on which position I speak. So if I'm speaking prime minister or LO, I'm just writing down everything I can. And unfortunately, I do end up killing quite a lot of trees. What I do is I just write as many big ideas as possible onto different sheets of paper, and I try and write the logic within them. The reason I do this is because in the PM or the LO speeches, you, haven't, you don't really have time to organize your material that well because, because you're, you're spending all your time generating the ideas, right? You're thinking of those ideas. So maybe I, I start by going, oh, this is my first point and I write this stuff down. What I found for me personally is if I wrote, on, if I wrote too much on one sheet of paper as a first speaker, um, what happened would be if my partner thinks of something new, I don't have any more space to put it in and I don't have time to rewrite on a new sheet of paper because I'm going up immediately. So that's why when I speak first, I always write very big, but leave a lot of space so that I could add stuff as things come in. If I'm speaking second, I will be telling my partner what to say and talking about the case. I will be writing in very, very small, a summary of their speech, right? So on one of my sheets of paper in the top right corner, maybe I would have a summary of what they are going to say. And as they give their speech, I will either tick off what they've said, or I might circle or underline it to say, oh, they forgot to mention this. That small thing there is just for me to keep track of what our team has said so far. It's like how our team has used our resources. And then if they miss out something, I will write it in big somewhere else on my notes in order to integrate it with the rest of my speech. So in prep time, I write differently based on which position I'm in in opening half. In closing half, it is kind of similar. In closing half, as an extension speaker, I will write in small, very, very small text, the list of ideas we have. I'll just write everything down. As the debate goes on, I will either cancel them off if the opening team has set them, or I maybe will circle them or highlight them if I want to focus on them. Once I've decided what I want to focus my extension on, I will write like as a first speaker, I will write in bold, I'll write big text and leave a lot of space. Again, that's because, you know, as an extension speaker, you, you might think of things along the way and you want to squeeze them in. So you need to have space to move things in and out. But my, my summary of our ideas is going to be quite small at the top right of, of, my, um, of my page. In, in general, you know, anything that is for my own reference, my own reading, I will put in small words to save space. Anything that I know I'm going to use in the debate as, a, as part of my speech, I will try and write in big, bold text and leave space around it so that as the debate progresses, I will have the space to fill that out. Finally, when I am in WIP, but also I guess for all speaker positions, how do I track what other people are saying? What I do is I just try and write the ideas down that they say, obviously, but I have a different colored pen and I will either underline or I will put a star beside the things that I know I need to respond to. So let's say the prime minister gives their speech and I, and I know that I want to respond to these two big ideas. I will underline them in, in red. And so later on, when I come back to it, when I have the time, I will immediately see ah, these are the two things. Sometimes if I have lots of time, I will even write down a summary of the responses I want to give again in red. Yeah. So how do I use this stuff in, in the actual debate? 
if I have a lot of time, I will sit down and very neatly transfer my notes over. So I will take a new piece of paper and I'll call it like rebuttals. Maybe I'll say rebuttals to OG. And then I will copy down what they said and I will copy out or write down in a bit more detail the response I want to give. That is the ideal scenario. In the non-ideal scenario, worst case scenario, shit hits the fan, there's no time. I will just take that sheet of paper and I will use it as part of my notes. So remember, this sheet of paper now has everything the prime minister has said. It's really messy and it's confusing. But because I have underlined two things in red, when I look down at my paper, I can immediately say, ah, this is OG. OG had two points that I want to rebut. The first point, and I will read out what was in red, underlined in red, and I'll give my response. My second, I give the response. So can you see how this works? It's like the different color is both a reminder for me that this is what I need to rebut, but if I don't have enough time to take it out, it is also a different color. So it, it like is a visual signal to me that I should spend my attention quickly looking at this part of my notes as opposed to somewhere else. Um, I think that's all. Those are, those are the main things I do that, and the reasons that I do them. That, that's, that's what I found works for me. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I hope that all makes, that makes sense. It, it all really depends on what you're trying to do in that speech. You know? So that's why for me, it's different in the deputy and different in the whip and different in the member and so on. It's a great question, though. It's a great question. Never thought of it before. So thank you. I think that's actually very, very, very comprehensive. Um, and I think that we've learned one or two things from that. So um, the other question we have is from Safo, and then it says at WDC, uh, judges always go like there is no impact in your speech. Is that just an excuse and how do you really distill the impact from the analysis? Okay. Fantastic question. I, I also struggle with this for a very long time. A helpful starting point. Okay, let me give an example of where there actually was no impact and, and how you know maybe you could we could do it a bit better. So I recently judged a debate about whether bilateral trade deals were better or multilateral trade deals were better, right? So whether it's better to sign a deal, trade deal with another country one by one or to try and get a group of countries together to work together. And the prime minister's arguments was like, ah, with a bilateral trade deal, trade deals are more flexible. You can renegotiate them more easily. So, you know, it's flexible. Let me ask you a question, and just to think about this. Do you think flexibility here is good? Maybe. You know, I think there are some cases where flexibility is good. If I'm booking a for booking an airplane ticket or a bus ticket, I, I, I quite like flexibility. Um, if I were getting married to someone, I'm not sure I would want flexibility, right? And, and it, it's one of those things where I understand why from his perspective, it sounds like flexibility is great. He probably had some reasons why flexibility was great. But what was happening here was that a judge or a, or a member of the audience could actually quite reasonably ask, but, but why is flexibility good? And the answer there is, well, maybe it's good because the economic situation changes very frequently and we should make sure that our trade agreements are flexible enough in order to accommodate these changes, to make sure that our economies will remain compatible. And the impact of flexibility is therefore that our economies become um, insulated against changing global trends 
and ensures that we can continue to benefit from trading with each other. This is, I think, an example of where something sounds like it's impactful at first, but teams can nonetheless go further in explaining what that impact is, in being actually super clear why that is good. And so the, the way to try and get better at this, I think, is just to keep asking yourself this question. As a result of what I have proven, so what? Are people happy? Are people sad? Do people care? And very often, you know, and, and I actually, I'm not kidding you. This is what, um, not me personally, but I've had other coaches that I've spoken to. They, they, as a training tool, they use this and they say, your argument should end at a point which says, and so people are happy. People are better off. People get more goods. People get more money. And so they are happy. If you can make sure that all your arguments end up in something like this, you know, obviously people are happy or people are sad, um, I'm pretty sure you will find that a lot of your arguments have impact. But I have also seen many instances where we sometimes think an argument is impactful, but we don't go quite so far as to, as to make it explicit, you know, to make it obvious. Um, and, and we sometimes also forget that in debating a lot of things are actually not always good or not always bad. And, and the other side can reasonably say, well, actually, you think that's good. I actually think that's bad. In fact, here, here's another, yeah, that's another thing that might be quite helpful. The next time you find yourself making a conclusion and thinking, this is my impact, ask yourself whether the other team can say, yes, and that impact is actually bad. So flexibility is a good example of that. The other team could say, yes, and flexibility is actually bad for the global economy. That seems reasonable, right? It's not, it's not absurd. It's like, it, it's arguable. And anytime something is arguable, that is a good sign that you haven't quite proven the full impact to show that your side is either good or that their side is bad. Um, that, that, that is my advice. It, it's, a, it's a tricky one. I am also going to come up front and be transparent and say, let's be honest, some judges will use that justification badly. Um, but I suppose the way to get better at it, both against good judges and against those bad judges, is to try and do something like this. Try and keep proving your arguments until you reach the stage of someone is happy, someone is sad. Um, and and you'll... you'll You'll get better at it, you know. Once you once you get used to it, you'll you'll realize what is and isn't acceptable. But I, you know, it's it's a really tricky one, really tricky one to do. Um, but by the way, I I, I, I I hate to put you on the spot, whoever asked this question, because it's a great question. But if like you had an example debate of this, I'd be quite happy to like maybe talk about the example a bit more because it's a bit hard to talk about it without examples in this case. Um, and, and so, you know, I've obviously tried to use the one about flexibility, but um, if, if anyone else has an example that comes to mind, I'd be happy to, to, to discuss that example a bit, a bit more, maybe. Yeah, so at Safo, please, if you have an example, you could just type it out so that we can come back to that question. So um, this is moving out of... Um, um technicalities of debate now. and this question is from steven and then he says that um, in my opinion debating tends to favor folks in social sciences and not in pure sciences and engineering how true is that 
And I think that that question is a bit like important for a lot of people here who are just joining the page, trying to, you know, find their feet. And I think I've seen it in some debate forums that um, even at like in your union, uh, when you were in school, Oxford Union is full of PPE students like yourself and not necessarily folks in the sciences and engineering and all of that. So um, in your experience, what do you think about uh, this? <laughs> is it true that you're doing favors I, social sciences? Um, I think it would be a lie to say that I think it would be a lie to deny that most debaters do spend time in the in the social sciences and humanities. But I also don't think it would be true to say that being in the sciences makes you less able to debate um, or less interested in debating. Um, some of the best debaters I know and the friends I have in debating are, are very, very much would identify in the, you know, sort of pro-science um, camp. And I, I thought about I've, I've thought about this before. You know, it's a tricky one and it's a strange one. Um, but actually, I I think if there is a skill that corresponds to debating, I, I would not put humanities and the social sciences in the same bucket. Truth be told, the the very best debaters and the ones I learned the most from are those who are able to think through issues in a very clear systematic way and that is in part the kind of rigor that the scientific method and, and learning about science helps you one way of understanding debating is with things like vectors you know imagining different arguments pulling in different directions i i sometimes think about judging in terms of like if you imagine a lot of forces acting on object what the what the net total of that is um and and I think that's obviously similar to like a very social science approach where it's about, you know, a structured way of thinking about the world. Um, but, but I think the, the better point here is it, it doesn't matter what you're studying. It doesn't matter what your job is. Um, debating, there's so many ways to do debating. You know, for me, I came into debate as this like young teenager who... It's like super philosophical and super empirical and super theoretical. And then I realized from losing debates and from feedback that I needed to be more of a human being and, and less of a robot, right? Um, and, and I would say that without debating, I would not be as good at you know, things like empathy or illustration or being clear in the way I talk to, um, to my colleagues and to my coworkers. And yet I, I can imagine people who come from an entirely different perspective, you know, who, who come to debate and pick up a different set of skills. I guess my point is debating or getting better at debating involves so many different aspects that regardless of what background academically you come from, you will have some things that will come more naturally to you and there will be some things that will be less natural, which means that you'll go away learning something, right? Um, you'll always come into debating starting with, some strengths that you that make you naturally inclined to be good at it, and there will always be some natural weaknesses that you need to get better at. Um, and so, my def like my hundred percent strong encouragement to everyone is is to not not to let you know not to let what people say about things like uh, most debaters are humanities, social sciences, and whatnot, um, not to let that affect your decision 
to, to debate and how to debate. Um, because I don't think it matters at all. I, I think I think what matters is is that journey of realizing when you come to debating as someone who is relatively young, relatively inexperienced, and relatively naive about the world, and that's okay, and figuring out how you leave debating with you know all these skills and all these experiences. Um, that for me is the most valuable thing about it. And, and, and that's going to be true for you regardless of what you study. So, um, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that before this in, in such great detail, but I, if I had to leave one message behind, that, that would definitely be it. You know, debating has helped me go beyond what I thought I was good at academically, and, and that is why I hope it will be the same for, for everyone as well. Yes. Um, I'll just read, uh, just uh, talk a bit more about like perspectives. I was thinking, um, since we're on that topic, right? When it comes to world debating, right, and and the challenge of having to engage debate from a whole lot of perspectives beyond field of study now, um, environment, um, with people, with um very, very different upbringing, social class. Um, do you always um, um, have this problem of um, contextualizing a debate that everybody can engage? Um, is that a challenge, especially at yes. Worlds level? Yes, uh, definitely. You know, the number of times I've been at Worlds and like had a debate where I've just felt so... Uh, I've just, I just felt like I don't really know what I'm talking about and that I'm bluffing my way through it. It's not a great feeling, you know, or, or, the, or really, it's, it's the feeling that someone else knows more about this than I do. Um, and and that, that's just, I think that's part of the journey, you know, that's part of the, the experience. That's part of what you try and get better at. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, especially at Worlds, where, you know, it's, you've got such a diverse judging pool, such a diverse pool of teams. Um, there have definitely been moments where, you know, I say something and then they say, actually, you, you you know that that's part of the. I'm from that part of the world, and you're completely wrong about that. Um, so yeah, it, it happens. Um, in terms of in terms of advice, I, I think it's it's no different from everything I've said. You know, we just try our best to learn as much about the world as we can, to try and be as reasonable as we can, to try and speak about experiences even if they're not ours, and to do it as respectfully as possible, and to do it as honestly as possible. You know, to to at least for me, that's what I try and do, right? I, I appreciate that I'll never have the same perspective as um, different, a member of a different minority group in speaking about an issue that's important to them. But what I try and do in every debate at least is, is try and be somewhat, or try and be as honest as possible to, to what perspective they would have. Um, and if it so happens that someone does it better, then fair play to them. You know, that, that, that's just the way debating is here. Okay, um, like in the spirit of that question, right, um, in the spirit of like that challenge of getting your perspective across, um, what do you think can help African teams excel at words? That is a, that is a good question. Um, what do you, you think know, can help African teams I think excel at words? What, one thing I, I firmly believe in is the only way to debate better is to know what judges are looking for, right? And 
you know, I, I've judged um, a number of African teams before, and, and and it's it's one of those things where because obviously every circuit has its own different nuances. You know, I think there's a lot of good work that's going on into you know building arguments, into like responding responding a rebuttal, and, and knowing how the thing works. I think the thing that would help take you to the next level, right, to make that next jump. Um, well, part of it is 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 the kind of things that I've I've already said to you. You know, to try and be be more proactive in asking yourself questions about how you debate. But the other, I think, is trying to um, understand how judges judge around the world. And I think with the with the increase of more debating resources out there, this will hopefully become uh, a little bit easier to access. You know, a little bit easier to access because. I, I personally think if you watch the top room at Worlds, you watch a video of that, it'll help you somewhat, but it's it, it's like it's like watching a it's like watching a it's like watching a lecture without the slides. You know, it's like it's like not ah, that's that's a poor analogy. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I, I think the next big step is try and try and understand better how judges judge debates worldwide. The different perspectives and, and how they might be currently different from the West African circuit. Um, and and try and you know try and adopt the same practices, the same types of feedback, the same types of tips. Because you know so the question early on about impact, right? I think that's a that's a really tricky question to get around. But if you know if a core number of West African judges and speakers were able to understand that concept and then started judging others and giving them that feedback. Slowly, that would trickle down, and and slowly more people would pick up those skills, and slowly more people would be able to, um, to 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 make the debating align with what you know other judges would would be looking for, and that would bring a certain level of of of, of greater success, right? So you know, to be honest with you, that that's why the the WDC team this year, one of the things we're really trying to work on is. Um, is is broadening that judging experience so that as many people and as many communities as possible can understand how world's judging is like and, and what it is like. Um, you know, what one of the things that we're trying to roll out is a volunteer scheme, kind of like this one. Imagine imagine a scenario like this where, you know, imagine if right now all of us in this room judged a debate together, and you know, I was chairing it, and then I explain to you guys what the thought process was like. I, I suspect you would learn a lot and would help you debate in a certain way as well. Obviously, that's not practical because there's so many of you here and, and that's great to see. But what we are trying to do more of is to record judge deliberations, to record judge uh, oral adjudications, and then to you know, to, to share that with as many people as possible. Um, so hopefully those resources will be something that you know help, help, helps the community make the next step. Because I feel like you know, you guys seem like a really passionate and and well organized community, and you know, I think the kinds of things that, we, that you're doing here with this series is is really important. Um, and and for each one of you here who who has the luxury of attending this session, and you know, I know that there are a couple of sessions coming up as well. Um, try and pass these things on. You know, try and tell them to the people you speak with, people you judge, to the people you coach, uh, and try and let these ideas spread. Because I feel like once you build up that base of ideas, it'll be easier for the community as a whole to move forward. Uh, it'll be easier for the community as a whole to, to share those ideas and to, to become stronger over time. So again, long, long-winded long answer, 
short answer is I think just keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep trying to bring in perspectives from people who have been there and done that. Keep trying to get resources that will help you understand what worlds will be like and to prepare people. Um, here's another good thing, actually. Sorry, this is a new idea, but you know, try try and have speakers who have done well on your circuit before um, come back and talk about their experience at Worlds so that people who are attending Worlds for the first time, it's less scary. You know, because when I attended Worlds for the first time, it, it was it was a really big deal and it's it's not easy to deal with that stress and the pressure of being in a new country. You know, um, the pressure of day three, for example, I can give some advice on that, right? That's it's kind of thing which is very unique. So I think that the short answer is keep doing what you guys are doing. Keep bringing perspectives, local perspectives, um, global perspectives and and for those of you who are here share those ideas and, and and help other people put those ideas into practice as well um because i think the only way the community does well at walls is, is for that community to be strong and, and to be engaged um, and it sounds like you guys are thank you on the right much. track for that um just to drag you back to the technicalities now um yeah the other time you mentioned um um, and an, an example of working on strategy and um, the second frame example, right? Um, do you think that um, strategy as a part of debate can be separated from content um, for training purposes? So should you be um, integrating strategy into the kind of content you create or should you train separately? Um, I don't know if you get that line up. Mm. Uh, I think I do. Um, I, I actually think they they have to be trained together because, and, and I, I wonder if you guys noticed this, right? But in the entire um, workshop, I never once mentioned the word strategy. Um, I don't think that was deliberate, but I think it's more because for me, this framework of time management of how I use my time is strategy. Um, for me, every question kind of comes back to this one. So it, it wouldn't make sense in, in my head, at least, to think about content without the question of strategy, right? But I mean, I, su I suppose you could separate them, but they're often bound together. Let me give an example of this. So. You, you could say in stra a, st a strategic question is, is this the right argument to run? And a content question is, how do you prove this argument, right? But what I often say to people is, well, when thinking about whether this is the right argument to run, you should ask yourself, is this an easy argument to prove? Um, or if I prove this argument, what, what, what have I proven at the end of it? You know, what, what's the impact? Because, uh, yeah, and, and so it, it kind of, the questions will always end up overlapping and merging um and and you know it, it should be quite intuitive but but a, but an argument that is hard to prove shouldn't be your first choice and an argument that is easy to prove should be your first choice all things being equal so i think you can split them up my advice would be to try and think of them together wherever possible because they are not really separate things that you can get you know the, the, the main way strategy affects debating is through content. So I would say it's possible to separate time management or your, your technical like clarity in the speech from strategy and content, but strategy and content almost always fit together.
that would be my advice yeah right thanks for that let me see if there's any other question there says how do you strategically become more relevant throughout debate so if i understand that correct the question is how do i make sure my arguments remain relevant during the debate okay so i think there are a few things you can do one thing that i have seen um Dan Lahav do is to just again be so clear about to the judge about what you want them to to take note. So he would literally say something like, um, you know, and I, I can't do his accent very well, but it's something like you know, and and panel uh, underline this because it's important, and then he will say the thing, right? And and even something as simple as underline this because it is important, is like, you know, it's it's not like the judge will literally underline it. I think sometimes they might. But it's the kind of thing which just makes a judge go, "Oh, this is this is somehow different. You know, this is this is noteworthy, and I will pay attention to it." Um, and I guess the other way is is to use illustration. Really, you know, it's what I said earlier on. P- people will remember a story you tell about an experience, a human experience. Much they will remember that much better than a story around something else. Um, so yeah, I, I think if I if I had to if I had to suggest two ways, number one, make sure your arguments have an illustration. Number two, make sure you, you know, you make it super obvious to the judge this is the thing they should take away from your analysis so far. Great, great, thanks. Tech. Um, I just called for the last batch of questions. If there are any, um, if there are none, we'll just wrap up like the session. So um, let's let's take parting words, really. So um, you're talking to that young African debater who wants to be at words this year, and this is May, and is trying to put in the work. What would be your parting words? Uh, okay, so. You cut out for a bit, but let me just make sure I get the question correct. So I'm speaking to like a aspiring young West African debater who is trying to make it to Wells this year, and what my advice would be. Is that correct? Yes, your passing words. Okay. Yeah, your advice. Gotcha. So yeah, in, in terms of the advice, you know, it's everything I've already said. But to add on to that, um, I mean, I, I really like the fact that you know you, you you guys as a community seem to be really keen to get better. Um, one thing that a lot of debaters say they want to do but never actually do is is improve um and that's why you know that that that's why i was really happy to come in and help out here today i think what i want um i i'm not going to i'm not going to like you know i'm not going to yeah, yeah i think again let me think of the best way to phrase this um debating has always been a privileged activity right i think that is uncontroversial um and i think we also have some idea of where of, of where that privilege has come from and where what it is and you know how it looks like um and and i think it it, it doesn't look like it now of course because i've thankfully been able to be quite successful at debating and, and i'm very thankful for you know the opportunities i got but there was a time where I wouldn't pretend to be in the same. I wouldn't pretend to, to to say that our experiences are the same. But but there was a time where I remember what it was like to to be going into an alien environment and feel like um, 
and, and feel like I wasn't quite sure what to expect, or I wasn't quite sure if I was going to be good enough, or if I wasn't sure if I was going to be prepared enough, or if I wasn't even quite sure whether I would be treated fairly. Um, but I think my parting words would be to say, um, you have much more within your control than you realize. And um, you, there are going to be ups and downs along the way. Um, but I can almost guarantee you that at the end of the work you put in and your experiences in the lead up to Worlds and Worlds itself, and possibly even the next Worlds and the one after that, right? Because it's, it's never, or at least, you know, for some of you, you are maybe midway through your debating journey. For some of you, you have just begun. Um, I can promise you that no matter what the results, you will come away from it with a tremendous appreciation of the world around you, the, the people around you, but also, um, you know, just, just how much you're capable of. Um, because I think if you compare who you are now or who you were before you started debating to wherever it is you end up, and Worlds is a part of that. It's not the only part of that, you know, and, and success or failure at Worlds is not going to be what defines you as a debater or what makes you feel like you've wasted your time or whether you've come out of it well. Um, I think you'll realize at the end of that journey that you've, you've come a very, very long way. And, you know, speaking to your future selves now or speaking from your future self on, on, on their behalf, um, you'll be very proud of where you are at the end of that. Um, and so, you know, my, my, my words would just be to, to try and have as much fun as possible along the way, to enjoy the experience and enjoy the process, um, and, to, and, not, and, and not to lose sight of um, the progress you've made at every stage, even if it can sometimes feel like it is a, a long and um, pretty tough road to, to do. Um, and, and, I can, I, and I hope that it, you know, debating will, will give you as much satisfaction um, and as much fulfillment and as, as many friends and as many experiences that I'll remember for a very long time um, as, it, as it did for me. Um, because frankly, that's, that's the most important thing. You know, it's, it's really not the winning or losing, although of course winning or losing is important. Um, but it's about all those other things as well. And yeah, that, that's what I wish for, for each and every one of you. <laughs> um, sorry, not the most coherent, but um, hopefully heartfelt and hopefully... Um, helpful. Thank you so much, Tech. It's been so nice talking to you. Um, we're very grateful for you to take out of your time to um, share these gems with us. And I think that it is our collective resolve that a lot of things that we've learned today, um, we're going to take them, use them, um, practice them, and hopefully, when we see at Worlds in December, um, it should be, you know, be very, very great. Um, I want to quickly shout out to um, Speech Forces for putting this together. And um, everybody who has joined, who has signed up, will have folks from the Eastern African Debating Circuit, the Southern African Debating Circuit. Um, we're grateful for you guys. Um, joining us um, on this session. Um, and the session continues tomorrow, right? Um, so um, thank you so much, Dec.
um, or grateful. No problem. Thanks very much, everyone, for having me. Um, I, I hope it was. I hope you found it useful. Um, and thank you all for for staying. Um, and yeah, I really wish you guys all the best. Uh, one thing I will also offer is if anyone else has like follow up questions, you know, if if you want to a month from now ask a question about something we discussed. Um, just find some way to to maybe collate that and send it over to me, and I'll try and uh, try and answer them um, in some form or another. You know, so this this is, doesn't have to be like a, a one off thing. If if you've got more questions, happy to help out going forward. Um, I'll try and do it as quickly as I can. Can't promise it'll be immediate, but uh, you know, I, I'm always available to to take those and, and help. Great, that's very generous of you. Thank you. Um... I think this is a very convenient spot to draw the curtains for today's session. Um, tomorrow, same time, having another guest. And thank you guys for staying put. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.